Welcome to People More Interesting Than Me, the podcast, where I step back and let fascinating individuals take the spotlight. Join me as I sit down with incredible guests who captivate and inspire, showcasing their stories, experiences, and wisdom that make them truly extraordinary. Tune in for engaging conversations that'll leave you enlightened and entertained. I mean, at least I'm entertained. Joining us is the remarkable Jasmine Sachiko Ross. Hailing from the picturesque Ishikawa of Japan, despite being born to English parents, Jasmine's journey unfolds in the heart of Japan, navigating life as a native Japanese speaker who attended Japanese public schooling throughout her formative years. In this episode, we dive into Jasmine's captivating story, exploring the experiences of someone who is Japanese in every way, except for the expectations that may come from appearances. Her narrative sheds light on the nuances of cultural identity and the challenges faced by those who straddle the line between cultures. Enjoy. Well, my uh, house is, I think, like, um, like go-to dinner when nobody could be bothered to cook was roast chicken because it wasn't like an instant meal but all we had to do was chop chop potatoes whack it like um chicken a thigh on a tray stick it in the oven and forget about it for half an hour and then like what five minutes before the oven rings it's like um just steam some vegetables it's very like basic british just potatoes meat vegetables <laughs> um but i loved it <laughs> um i will say it was um it was one of the ones that I was always happy to have for dinner. And it was probably one of the ones that my mom was most happy to receive as a request because she was just like, yeah, that's the easiest thing on the planet. <laughs> is that is that something that was kind of like uh, out, outlandish, like to eat in Japan, to have something like that? But it was something from your from obviously where your your mom grew up. Yeah, for sure. Um, ovens aren't really a thing in Japan. And if you do find them, they're like like microwave size, and it's just not the same. It's not the same at all. I've tried to bake, uh, not bake. I've tried to roast chicken and like all sorts of things in my microwave oven thingy in my like Japanese apartment, and they're just. I guess the power is not strong enough. Um, so my parents invested in like a proper oven for the for the house because they were there for good and yeah so every time I would go back home it was um like yeah anything roast please because outside of the house there was just it just didn't exist and it's also you can tell from um, restaurants uh prices as well like if it's some kind of fancy western uh or any kind of western uh restaurant all the roasts are like the most supposedly fancy like expensive dishes and maybe that's universal I don't really know but it's just the fact that it's so easy and all you need is an oven but the rest of the country in Japan is just like nearly unheard of yeah I think so and I think in the long run we'll we'll find out that those microwaves have some uh some issue just <laughs> it just seems unnatural to have like food within like that quick of time if that makes sense i i don't know well yeah maybe i'm just being paranoid about that but um 
so just talking on that because what your mom and dad are are from the uk yeah both parents are from the uk yeah they're from england and my mom came first when she was uh 21 um because specifically to learn this this painting um it's not actually painting but she thought yeah i'm good at painting i can do that um so she she is um she came to japan to study traditional japanese lacquerware and she tried to learn it for like five years but failed because she couldn't speak japanese she was a woman um i guess it wasn't one of the major um occupations that you could really aim for uh, in the 80s in Japan so she struggled for five years finding trying to find like a mentor who would take her in as an apprentice but um, at, I think the five-year mark she went back to the UK for her best friend's wedding and she was made of mm-hmm. honor my dad was best man that's where they met uh, and the rest is history they were um, dating for I think a year um, and then my mom was like well I found a school in Japan um, that will teach me the lacquerware that I've been trying to, to learn for five years. So uh, I'm going back to Japan. You're either coming with me or we're breaking up. So my dad left his cushy job in London and followed his heart all the way to Japan. And uh, yeah, they're still in Ishikawa Prefecture um, living their lives. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, me and um, my sister were like obviously popped out here and have spent our entire lives here. We've never lived abroad. I love the the Turner phrase you use, popped out. <laughs> it just if if uh, if somebody in America said popped out, it would seem kind of uh white trash, but <laughs> with your your slight British uh, uh accent or it, it sounded cool. It's also ironic. So, it's ironic because I know my mom was in labor with me for like 48 hours. So it was very, very far from just popping out. <laughs> yes. I, I've, I've been at the experience and yes, it's, it would be offensive to pop out for a 48 hour uh, labor intensive. <laughs> uh, um, so um, just in case people who uh, aren't listening, um, Jasmine is Caucasian and you, you have, um, British parents, and you were raised in a small village in Japan. What what was the village again? Um, Wajima City is tech. It's technically the te- name, <clears throat> but it's it's offensive to call it a city. There are so few people there. <laughs> Since you were born and raised in Japan, you don't you didn't really have anything um, to compare to. Like, I mean, did you? A small question: Did you ever go back to UK for vacation or holiday or ever? I did, but most of the travel back to England happened until I was seven years of age. And that was the last time I went for about almost 20 years. And uh, last summer, I went back for, I think, four weeks, just because it had been so long and I knew nothing about my quote unquote own country. (laughs) So, yeah, like basically growing. Growing up, when I was little, I went like once a year, I think, um, maybe a little less, maybe once every other year. But um, I do have a lot of memories from that time with like my grandparents and things. But um, my 
grandmother on my mum's side passed away when I was seven. So we went back to the, for the funeral and then just didn't go back after that. I think it also um, kind of collided with the um, 2008 <clears throat> oil shock. So in here in Japan, we, we were trying to save pennies where we could and taking the whole family back to England wasn't the best way to spend our money, <laughs> I suppose. No, that's that's a good perspective. I didn't know that. So did it feel like every time you went back to the UK, it was just like completely different, like this, this small period of time that... To be honest, I think I was too young to really understand that it was a different country. Um, it was more so like we were going to visit our relatives um, and... I was just, I was the the little girl, right? So everyone was doting on me, fawning over me, and I'm just there getting, every, soaking up everybody's attention. And, you know, it was just a grand old time. And I got gingerbread biscuits and all these like cereals. Um, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even think about that, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it was a grand old time and I probably loved it. I don't have a lot of memories from from my uh, childhood, but like I do remember um, certain uh, in, like England memories, and um, yeah, they they were kind of a long lost past until I visited the UK last year, um, mm -hmm. and it was a huge part of my kind of uh, how do you say it? like uh, almost like identity crisis because I spent my whole life in Japan but I look like this like <laughs> I look like a typical English person um white as Gambi and uh I'm also six foot one in height so I stand out like a like a I stick out like a sore thumb in Japan as well so <clears throat> I I was just there like yeah I'm I can't really call myself Japanese but I don't know anything about England um I don't know when I can go next um so when I was finally able to go back to England last year, it was like, okay, this is where I can kind of brush up on my Britishness and breathe that English air and reconnect with my people. Um, so it was absolutely fantastic. But oddly, it wasn't, it had been like 20 years since I last went, but it didn't feel like going to a foreign country. Um, this is going to sound weird, but like every country has like a smell, right? And you, you go to like Thailand or Korea or something and you're like, ooh, okay, this is a, like a new smell. Um, and then, so when I went to England, I was like, what's that going to be like? And it felt really nostalgic, even though I didn't know anything about the country, the place, where I was going. It was just like really, really nostalgic. So I think that must have connected to the like long lost childhood memories that my my body had somehow remembered and I was like oh okay so this is this is part of home you know so that was yeah a bit of a side story but it was a really nice experience no no that sounds that sounds kind of interesting like a like a dream you used to have and then you have it after a long time and it feels like not like warm like home yeah I, yeah I've had those moments and it's just like I've been here before yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly like that. So speaking onto that about going back home, uh, yeah. how did you perceive your identity growing up? Because you said, I mean, obviously you said you're six foot one, you're, you look like a, 
someone who just came out of a, a pub in London. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously, I have <laughs> well, oh, sorry, sorry. That. As, a, as a child. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. How did, like, what did the sense of your belonging feel like mm. being raised in Japan, but coming from a Caucasian culture? Right. I mean, there's lots of faucets I could go down with this, but um, basically, I would talk to, like, especially now I'm traveling, I would talk to many people and say, like, oh, I'm from Japan. I, I know I look like this. I don't look like Japanese, typical Japanese, but I spent my whole life in Japan. So they're like, and then they would usually ask, oh, so you're Japanese then? And I'm like, no, I'm from Japan, but I'm not Japanese because I spent my whole life in Japan as a quote unquote foreigner. So I have to carry um, uh, like an alien card, like a foreigner registration card with me everywhere. Um, and there are like certain, I just the other day, I couldn't um, sign up for a phone plan because I didn't have a Japanese passport and um, sorry, foreign citizens can't have this phone plan. And, you know, so there are certain aspects of being living in Japan, looking like this, that you just cannot um, access the actual Japanese-ness. So um, I've never thought of myself as Japanese, but like I just mentioned, I know not, I knew nothing about England either. So I didn't really think of myself as English either, um, as much as I really, really wanted to be. As a child, I didn't have access to England. Like that wasn't in my control, right? So um, my sister and I would watch British period dramas and all the like British uh, movies and be like, oh, so that's how you speak. Okay, cool. Like, what's that word, you know? Um, and so we would be grasping at anything British that we would, that would come across our way, but we never really were able to, I mean, I say we, but my sister and I are very different people. So you have to interview her for her perspective. But um, I personally never wanted to call myself British or Japanese. Um, so that sense of belonging that you asked about is just, to be honest, non-existent. <laughs> like, um, that kind of sounds a, a very like kind of dismal way of saying it, but like, I didn't really felt like I belonged to any community, whether it was home or school or anything. And the one glimpse that I have had of like a sense of belonging has been very recent in like maybe like the past few months where I've um, I've been traveling and when I've met fellow travelers who also have mixed ethnicities or like they're one ethnicity but they come from another culture or there's this term called third culture kid where you are basically immigrants children and you have this kind of new culture because it's not your parents culture it's not your uh, like host country or like the country that you're born in it's not quite that country's culture either so it's like a third culture so I would connect with these people and I'm like yes you get it yes <laughs> and that's the first time that I actually felt like okay these are my people <laughs> um so it's been a very very recent phenomenon where I've been able to even feel a glimpse of that kind of sense of belonging sorry really long long answer <laughs> No, no, no. That was really good because that touches on to something that we had talked about, I think, when we did our like intro call is like every time you meet someone, 
you have like a like a two minute window where you do kind of you like your your spiel like oh i'm sorry i confused you and it, it's probably like that on both ends obviously because like yeah. if somebody's trying to and by the way you said you were speaking like you definitely did a no in a british way you know i saw something that says <laughs> You got to say no, like a like a British person, where you really like chew on the vowels, like, especially with like no, you like no, like you just really extend it. And I was like, that was really good. Um, but yeah, like every every time you have a every time you have a conversation or meet someone new, it's kind of like, uh, and just to find someone else like that, that's probably feels amazing. As, I mean, especially if it's a similar situation yeah yeah it's it is absolutely um amazing and i've only been able to really explore that um in the past couple of years um i don't know why i really don't know why i never tried to seek it out before <laughs> because growing up i did feel very um like isolated is kind of a strong word but like I felt like no one understood me. Like I would have to explain myself to everyone. Like my parents don't quite get it either. Like my school friends usually treat me like an equal, like, you know, like they don't really look at me and see foreigner, they see Jasmine. Um, but at the same time, if there was any kind of conflict or, you know, bullying or whatever, I was very, a very easy target as the one that was different. So like there's all of these pockets of my life that I've just been like well I mean nobody gets it so it's like just deal with it so I felt like and so when my sister was born I was like at least there's somebody somebody who will get it she's still a baby but you know like she will understand and she will be my my uh, my uh, um solidarity partner I don't even know what, how I can describe sister um, in crime yeah yeah it's yeah. literally sister in crime um so that kind of sense of relief when my sister was born, I remember, even though I was only like five. So it's like, if I could, if I'm thinking that at five years old, <laughs> like what kind of stuff have I have I been like trying to navigate, you know? Um, but then, you know, because growing up, I I think it must have been because I was in like a rural area where my mental, my default setting was I'm the only one. My family are the only people. So I guess it didn't quite click that there could be others. And then maybe if I did find others, would it make me like less special somehow? Um, because, you know, like if I'm in this bubble where I'll, I'm just like this tall foreign person who's bilingual, um, like I'm, I'm somehow more special or something. Um, not necessarily more special, but that was kind of how I was like, dealing with the anxiety of just not fitting into anything i'm like oh it's okay because like like uh, lady gaga didn't become lady gaga because she was normal you know <laughs> I was like, yeah that was what i used to tell myself um so i was like it's okay it's okay you know um so maybe there was the the two sides of it of just like i did my default was like there's no one else that will understand me anyway but then part of it was also like well but if there are like what does that make me? <laughs> so, yeah. so it took a lot of courage to actually reach out and be like, okay, let's see who else is out there. Cause I'm, I'm done with this being alone nonsense. <laughs> I just want friends. <laughs> Obviously I have friends, but you know, someone who understands it more.
sorry, another tangent. <laughs> no, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of podcast to be fair. Um, so just thinking on that and the other thing I don't think you've mentioned, but you didn't have a TV growing up as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that probably a... even made it more difficult. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So we had a TV screen <laughs> and we had a computer, um, but we had no access to Japanese television because um, inside the house was completely English, um, which is why I was able to grow up to be bilingual because I know that there are quite a lot of families who struggle to have their children still kind of learn and maintain a, a decent level of like the parents language whether that be English or whatever other language um, but my parents were very much like no this is an English household we are British citizens and you are going to learn English so inside the house was no Japanese no Japanese television and completely English like I said but the entertainment um was like in the days of VHS my parents would actually import uh Disney movies and like foreign uh, or Hollywood movies basically um lots of rom-coms lots of Disney movies very like romantic <laughs> um and then uh, once the internet uh was part of our lives then my father was able to access more foreign um, entertainment which we would just have a whole library of at home so that was how we learned our English and improved our English for the most part big question did you have Aladdin yes <laughs> did, did you did you just get like struck by that like a character being named Jasmine 100 percent, 100 um no other characters you probably heard were named Jasmine and like anything you were doing like this character's name is my name yeah yeah exactly granted her spelling is a bit different i'm a j yeah, but but yeah. still um i and plus she's she's a badass like the princess jasmine is awesome so i was so proud that i was jasmine and she was jasmine and even now in japan when i tell people my name they're like oh like aladdin uh, like aladdin yeah. in english sorry in japanese it's arajin so it's yeah but so i'm like yeah 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 kind of with with the Z sound, but yes. <laughs> Were there any challenges or moments that made you particularly aware of the cultural difference growing up in Japan that stick out now, I guess? Well, I think it's not one or like a couple of incidences because it was just, it was a daily reminder, to be honest, that you're different. Um, but I do remember a lot of times in school, um, like I would learn, you know, how to be a human, like we all do, um, based on the Japanese models and the Japanese cultural norms and, um, you know, common courtesy. These were things that my mom and dad didn't know because they are expats with their own morals and their, their own beliefs. Um, so what I learned from my mom and dad didn't always work at school and vice versa if uh, I learned something at school it didn't always translate to to home so that kind of I not even conflict because I avoided conflict at all costs but like that sense of confusion um and embarrassment in when I when I do something thinking that it's correct or thinking it's something I'm supposed to be doing and it's wrong or it, like 
I'm making a fool of myself somehow. Those moments were extremely painful. And I really, really wish I had like kind of a, a more of a more guidance in that aspect. Not that anyone actually could like just guide me there, but like it's it's kind of like um playing a card game um and nobody telling you the rules or like actually more so like you are playing the card game and you're trying to figure out the rules but one person's telling you it's these rules and the other person's telling you completely different set of rules and you're just there like so i could play the ace or i can't play the ace which is it <laughs> you know <laughs> that is just so frustrating and like like just confusing you know so there were lots of aspects like that um, where I was just very confused. Um, let me try and give a, a, an example. Oh, I gave an example, um, and I think I'll use that. One very, very easy example of this is um, table manners. So <laughs> I'm sure you know in the West, we often have like a big plate with a knife and fork, and everything is on your plate, right? So the plate is obviously on the table and you you cut the food and bring it to your mouth. In Japan, it's more little dishes, a collection of small dishes, and you use chopsticks to eat them. So it's polite to pick up your bowl and plate to your mouth and eat. So it's something very simple of either picking up your plate or not picking up your plate. But in kindergarten, I was told to pick up my plate. And at home, if I try and pick up my plate, I get told off. So it's, you know, like basic human rules that, you know, if you're in one country, it's it's fine. You just pick that up. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Um, but <laughs> um, like for me, I was it's just a very simple example, but it was just like, so I'm allowed to do this here, but I'm not allowed to do this. Here. Okay, fine. Like I give up, you know, <laughs> there were so many examples like that. So, and I, I don't know why I do this, but I feel like you probably have a very good reading the room type uh, uh, sense where you come mm -hmm. into a room, you kind of, no matter where it's at, you kind of analyze the situation, people's temperament as much as you can and kind of adapt to that. Was that kind of like, like the vibe when you were growing up is like, okay, I've got to read the room. I got to see which of me I have to be. Like, am I Jasmine in prefecture? Is that is that the yeah. correct way to say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then Jasmine at home, where I have to be English for my parents. Was yeah. that kind of like the face faces you had to put on? Exactly, exactly. Um, yes, exactly. Um, actually, a few years ago, um, one of my mentors uh, kind of gave me a scolding, and he he told me that I was a um, in Japanese, a hapo bijin, which means uh, it sounds, the direct translation sounds nice, but it's, it translates to beautiful from all sides. But actually, if in Japanese, when someone says that, it's a negative connotation because it means that you're putting on a face, like you are not vulnerable with anyone. Um, and that it's exactly that. It was... I don't know what is expected of me. I don't know what the rules are. So I'm going to try and be as small as possible. I'm trying to I'm trying to make as little conflict in little waves as possible. So as soon as I walk into the room, it's very much like, okay, 
what's the what's the situation who are these people um which version of jasmine do they want and so you know it's not just the japanese and english but it's is is it a corporate setting is it um, am i talking to um a person who's older than me? Am I talking to peers? Am I talking to to uh, people younger than me? Am I talking to my parents? Am I talking to my parents' Japanese friends? Am I talking to my parents' foreign friends? Um, all these different constructs. And my mother is a she is a owns her own business, so she also had a lot of um, clients and um, like customers. Um, so I was. Um, kind of thrown into that world, helping her with the language from a very young age. So it was all the different, all the different like classes. And I don't really want to use the word classes, but all the different, how do you say, like social backgrounds that I was dealing with from a very young age. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it, it has been a lot <laughs> to kind of navigate, but that is definitely like the way that my like default way of, of operating was like, okay, who am I talking to and how do I react to that? So now I'm actually working on the opposite of trying to be, trying to find me, Jasmine Ross, who is authentic and knows who she is and kind of be more true to her. Um, and it is a process and a half, believe you me. <laughs> um, but it's something that is, absolutely wonderful and liberating as well so that is like my current chapter in life so again very long answer no that's great uh so i guess when you were and i i need to check myself every time because you you couldn't really re compare yourself when you were a kid but how was it like i guess you know being you a what um, I keep on saying white kid because that's what we would say in America, but a Caucasian kid in Japanese schools, were you treated just the same as you were all the other kids? And what you were talking about, I didn't know that you didn't get the same uh, privileges in Japan, like not being a, a a native, even though you were born there, which is which is crazy. Because in, in America, like if you were born here, um, obviously you're born with, you're actually... For example, if you were to um, have parents who aren't even illegal, like say they cross the border without any papers and you were born here, you get all the, you know, like rights that go along with it. Um, did you notice a difference in school compared to other kids? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, just to, to touch on what you said, um, it is the ongoing um kind of like comparison of america and japan and in this field when we talk about like foreign rights or you know third culture kids so like what well, where do we stand uh it's like a huge debate uh, um of how it should be um i'm i'm not going to give my own opinion about that because i don't really have one um it's just the way it is it's kind of where i'm at but it is it's, it's true exactly what you said of like in america if you're born there you're an American citizen. Um, no matter where your parents come from, no matter who they are, you get the rights of being an American citizen. In Japan, it's very much like blood, uh, bloodline. And there is a little bit more of a kind of exclusivity to that. So if you are mixed race, uh, I if you, if like one of your parents, or I think it's if it's one of your parents, um has Japanese heritage, 
then you have the right to apply for Japanese citizenship. Um, but in my case, both of my parents are not Japanese. So then for, I think about 16 years of my life, I had to apply for a visa every three years so that I could continue to stay here. And only when my mother applied for a permanent residence because she had been teaching Jack, uh, she had te been teaching English in Japan for over 10 years, she was eligible for permanent residence and I thankfully was able to apply. And then with her right of being, with her right of being here over 10 years, working here, providing services to the Japanese society, we, the family, were allowed to have residence here. So my sister and I didn't get permanent residence of our own right. Uh, it was thanks to our mom. So if they didn't have um, residency, I don't know how <laughs> that would have gone. Um, and even now, like uh, just yesterday, my sister and I were talking about um, having to move apartments and the, we, a lot of foreigners get like, um, more kind of like, uh, how to say, like higher prices for, um, the money that you have to put down, like deposit for apartments. Mm -hmm. And I just gave, I told you about my phone plan thing, but like, there are certain things in place that make it a little bit more difficult for foreigners to stay in Japan. And because of the way we look, we get put in the foreigner bracket so both my sister and I often share stories of like how frustrated we are because it's like yes it's just our appearance it's just our passport that's different we've <laughs> educated in Japanese we speak Japanese we've born and bred here we've you know <laughs> contributing to society through work here you know we pay our taxes here <laughs> everything about us is Japanese except for our passport and appearance <laughs> yeah so anyway so that is that is the um, just just to touch on that. Yeah. Have you guys ever tried to obviously you're going to have to meet them in person and this would only work for, I guess, the rental situation. But you call in and obviously, oh, yes, I'd like to put money down. Obviously, you're saying this in Japanese. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as they would see you, then they're like, oh, no, you have to pay a higher deposit based on you being like white yeah man that's um, crazy yeah i mean usually we're able to um wave our uh foreigner cards in their face and say we have permanent residence we're basically japanese citizens and uh, usually it's permanent residence keyword that we do get to um be treated almost similarly to to japanese um but there's yeah there are countless occasions where we have to fight for fight to be treated the same way as um, a Japanese person. Yeah, and hopefully, obviously, that gets easier through the years too, especially <laughs> if you have kids. And so, I I think I I asked you two questions at the same time, so I apologize. You asked whether I got um, treated differently because I was um, like I look like this um, from actual like kids in the school. Not so much, to be honest, um, because like they don't really kids don't really have that sense of like what well I mean what you consider racism I guess um they don't treat me different because I don't um look the same they, that that stuff is 
taught you know like um, yeah. they don't they don't have that naturally so in school not at all but um well i say school in elementary school not much but the the thing that did cause like to be treated differently was was in those occasions where i told you like i had different uh morals different uh like cultural rules that i brought to school and i behaved in a way that was not kosher for the for the japanese right so i wasn't treated differently because i was um like british or foreign but more so i was treated differently because i was acting funny and i was acting funny because i come from a, a different kind of background so it was that that kind of um level of like treatment in that sense um and the only time that i really felt like I was treated differently was when I a went to a new school because obviously I have to retell my whole story. That's that's the same thing with every new like habitat that I would <laughs> expand into. It's like yes, this is me. Let me introduce myself. Um, but then it, it wears down. And if there was a huge thing that I had to continuously fight for was my English education, um, because I was a first non-Japanese person who spoke English that entered the school so all the English teachers were like well what do we teach this kid and I'm just there like Let, give me a book <laughs> you know I don't I don't need your like non-native English nonsense um but uh my mom had actually kind of uh almost forced me to take these uh, English certifications from when I was a very young uh young child a because I think she wanted me to obviously be good at English but B because then we had something to present to the school to be like she has these certifications they're probably as good as yours so basically you don't have the right to teach her and so my mom would give me English material to work on but like having to kind of fight for that and then high school the high school isn't compulsory or wasn't compulsory I had to actually earn the units for English. Therefore, it meant that I had to sit through boring, easy English class. And I was just there like, can I not, you know, like, can I just quietly do my maths homework? Because like, I really, that's, that's what I need work on, you know. <laughs> and the English teacher was so stubborn that she gave me um, like English translation material to do that was like, like top tier um university entrance stuff and i at that point i had been working with and for my mother translating all her stuff for years so i was like excuse me lady like i get paid for this stuff <laughs> like and you're just making me do this this is slavery <laughs> so um like it was all in the like english english learning um area that i did feel the difference yeah, that's funny. I thought you were going to tell me something like she was going to have you grade the papers for her. Like... <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> so what kind of what aspects of Japanese culture? Obviously, um, you've been abroad for a while now. What aspects have you find particularly, I guess, intriguing or valuable? So, yeah, there are a few things because since I started traveling, I noticed some things that are quote unquote Japanese, even that I have 
that I didn't even know was Japanese. So a lot of the things that I personally get commented on is attention to detail. Um, like the Japanese think about everything, like down to the detail. If there's like some minor inconvenience, they'll they'll think about it and try to fix it. And that's how we ended up with heated toilet seats, you know? Um, every no one likes that experience sitting on a cold toilet seat. Voila, the Japanese have you covered. So like that's it's definitely one thing that has um I think helped them in the like technological advancements as well. Like they they think of everything um and they make sure everything is really top quality. Um, but it also kind of trickles into the daily mindset as well. So I think they could just call it omotenashi culture in like um the service industry that it's they take pride in the fact that they have thought of your every single need of the client or customer and it's uh, taken care of so it's really attention to detail and thinking about the little things i think that's um that's something that is quite japanese um that i think is valuable i mean it can go the other side too like it if they think about everything too much, um, uh, it can get a little bit, uh, um, it can lead to shame and all these other problems, but focusing on the good sides here. So <laughs> there's that. And um, the other thing that I absolutely love about Japanese culture, and I'm sure there are other cultures that can connect to this too, but um, they're like, mm, without sounding like a total nerd, um, the, the Japanese, the culture base, or should I say the base of their culture, origin of their culture, is kind of based in Shintoism. And Shintoism is, I don't really know the technical terms, but they believe deities are behind every single like natural phenomenon. And so they respect and admire and pray to nature, right? In other words, they basically like the whole way of living is like living in harmony with nature. And even now there are some natural heritages that have, they call it Satoyama Sato Umi. It's literally like villages that live with the mountain, with live with the sea in harmony. Um, and it's in this day and age of like environmental crisis and all of this, and everybody trying to be more sustainable and being eco-friendly, actually the Japanese like old school way of living, like all the answers are there. So I really love that kind of mentality of just general respect for nature. And like, I'm not saying that they still do that to an extent now. It's quite, it's been developed quite a bit and there's lots of Western culture coming in. And But the baseline, I really think the Japanese culture has a lot of answers to offer the modern day world today. So it's a bit of a, a niche part but it's something that i really love and respect about japanese culture that's the good thing with having your foot in two camps and obviously you were raised in japan so you have a bigger foot in japan but that way and i should ask you what you were what you studied in uh college or anything like that but i mean this has like gives you a huge leg up especially if you're looking to do something international or something in you know something that would fill it in the gaps with such a something that you can specialize that no one really can uh compete with you on um <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because um i actually i actually studied marine biology of all things 
but um, my whole like young adult life, I've been so focused on just being normal, like following the path of not using my bilingual skills, not using the fact that um, I am born and raised in Japan, but I'm English. I was like, I just want to be normal. I just want to, you know, fit in for once. So I did something that doesn't use any of my, like, um, my natural born talents, should I say. Um, and I was like, yes, I'm going to be a researcher. I'm going to be a conservationist. I'm going to, you know, try and help save the world. And uh, obviously there's still a part of me that's very much passionate about trying to make the world a better place than we found it. I'm now finally in a place where I embrace the the quirks of being me. Uh, and that includes, you know, being having my uh, unique perspective on Japan and like being kind of like an in-betweener. And so now finally I'm like, oh, okay. So maybe there is a way that I can use this perspective to help the planet, help humans help anyone that I basically can to like in a way that only I can help it's it's funny that you actually mentioned that like the whole schooling because it was like I've been so anti that uh, for so long and people were like oh yeah you should be a diplomat you should go into to you know um politics it's like well I'm foreign so I can't do politics um maybe maybe down the line maybe I don't know and I'm just like <laughs> No, no, I can't. I don't. I don't do all that like bridge between cultures nonsense. I'm just gonna go follow fish, <laughs> and and now it's the polar opposite. <laughs> In the end, it's it's really up to what the person really loves and enjoys. Obviously, I mean, you could have the person who's here's a stupid example, but the fastest person in the world. Mm. He might exist, but he might not be a runner. Because he doesn't, he he hates running. You know what I mean? Like, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean not hurting society, but in the end, it's it's up to being happy. And if you do something that isn't going to make you happy, even though let's just say you're the the Leonardo da Vinci of painting, mm -hmm. and you don't you don't go towards that for your passion, in the end, yeah. I mean, obviously society gets hurt by it, but yeah. But at the same what, time, like there's. I think it was um, a path that I had to kind of go down to end up where I am now. It's like, so all of these gifts that I have, um, you know, I didn't ask for it. So there, there used to be a lot of resentment in um, the fact that I was a foreigner and yes, bilingual being bilingual is a strength, but like at what cost was kind of my mentality. Like I, I really wanted to fit in. I really wanted to belong. And yeah, this, I have this superpower, but like, I don't want it. I would much, I would happily trade it for a boring, I don't want to say a boring life, but you know, like a, like a, a normal life. Um, yeah. But uh, so that's why I was so anti it for so long. And just honestly, just going through every single step of the typical, that's the word I was looking for, not normal, not not boring. Typical was the word I was looking for. The typical Japanese step-by-step -step of going to university, going to uh, grad school, getting a corporate job. Granted, I quit master's twice. That's a whole other story. So I was already starting to break the mold by then, but I was, you know, going through the motions, trying to be as typical as possible until I realized, oh, actually, like, it's much better to create a mold for myself, you know, um, and 
it's actually by embracing these gifts that I have and really truly um, learning to love the person that I am today, despite everything, because of everything, with everything, like all of the all of the terms, like it is it is me and like I can give to the world my unique gift. And I think that is what I finally come to terms with. And that's the kind of message that I'm trying to give out to the world in my day to day. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, I don't understand that specific situation, but I understand <laughs> the point where like, people are telling you stuff for so long. Like, and it's hard to like, it's hard to break the shell sometimes on perspective, until you're actually outside the perspective looking at yourself. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> you something that like for the longest time like because people don't see the baggage that's the issue like all this like through the years you were you were taking on this baggage and it's easy for people to say from the outside about this because they haven't gone through it themselves and they don't understand what you had to go through yeah and then when you finally start to understand that something that you thought was not a curse but like a hindrance all this time has is actually when you get outside to like on a larger scale, you're like, wow, okay, this, this might actually be pretty helpful. Like I can, it's just funny from perspective, um, how something like that can completely change your mindset when you get older and you're like, okay, this might actually be very helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the flip side of that is also like, no matter what kind of advantages you think people have, whether they're like, you know, born wealthy or bilingual or, you know, I don't know, they look fantastic, like a supermodel, I don't know, whatever. Even if you think from the outside looking in that they have this like huge advantage, like exactly what you said, you don't know what kind of uh, baggage comes with that and what kind of challenges comes with that. So it's always kind of trying I've always found a way to like not be not make assumptions of people because like you honestly never know <laughs> you really don't know so it, it taking like jealousy and like envy out of it completely until you really understand that person's um situation and that person's life which is impossible because you're not that person so yeah just want to insert that too oh, that's cool. <laughs> No, no, that's great. So leading into the next question, if somebody was in a similar situ situation as you, what, what kind of advice would you give them growing up in a similar culture that you did? Similar culture as I did. If you're talking about um, like kids who were raised in a country that's not their parents' country, I think for those people, my biggest... I don't want even want to say advice, but like message would be like to give yourself some grace because it is confusing. It is challenging and you're figuring out life. Literally, you're figuring out how to be a human, but plus another whole set of rules. So um, like whether you're you have multicultural parents or like you are in a different world entirely, or if you travel around, you know, there are kids like that too, the uh, diplomats kids or whatnot, that are navigating different cultures like every other year, if not more. So it's, you, you are literally figuring out life and it's okay to be confused. So I think 
as hard as it is, much easier said than done is to uh, give yourself some grace. Um, and this is some just something in general that I've already kind of been going on a tangent about, but uh, like no matter what your like cultural background is, whether you're, even if you're pure Japanese by blood, born and raised in Japanese, or even if it's the same in America, like, I don't care. It's if you find something that's like a bit different or like you don't quite fit into the, to the social norm, I think that is what makes you special. And I think that's actually your superpower. So if you find that something and it frustrates you, just kind of like hold on to it and <laughs> don't try not to kill it <laughs> um, as frustrating and tough as it can seem sometimes. I think it's important to nurture that. Um, and lastly, but not least, um, you're not alone. Um, <laughs> that's a huge message that I wish I had heard when I was a kid. You're not alone, especially at, in this day and age with the internet. It's a very amazing tool that can connect people. I think it would be amazing if you could keep that superpower, nurture that superpower and connect with people who share that superpower or share your perspective. Just like find your tribe, basically, is what I'm trying to say, because no one's alone. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. And with that great answer, I know we'll probably maybe touch on that with this last question. What is something that your parents did growing up that you'd like to pass on to a next generation? And what is something that you might do a little bit differently or new? Okay, so one thing I'm I'm very, very grateful to my parents for um, making sure that I could do was, uh, I say one thing, there are a few things, but some of which are made sure that I was bilingual um, and that I could com like actually communicate with my parents, you know, because they sent me to a Japanese school um, and I would have learned Japanese just fine. But if that was that, um, I would not have actually been able to acquire, like actually talk to my parents about anything, really, <laughs> anything past do the dishes, you know? Um, so I think that was a, a very crucial thing that they managed to maintain. Um, granted, there was also a lot of hard work on my my part. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna negate that. Um, but they were as pressurizing as it was sometimes. In hindsight, I can see why they pressurized me so much to, to learn English. So that's something that I would like to pass on in the sense of trying to actually maintain that kind of bilingualness even if i happen to meet uh, an english-speaking partner and have english-speaking children in an english-speaking country that's something i think i would still like to to try and uh work with my children on is to have more than one language because it's it is a truly like a, a gift and it's a huge advantage in in all sorts of aspects yeah i I don't need to go into all the like advantages of being bilingual because uh, that's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> like, let's just say I would uh, definitely try and pass on being bilingual um, and English being one of the languages I, at, at this point, I think is quite advantageous. Uh, we'll see how that changes in the near future, but maybe it's Chinese, maybe it's Spanish, who knows. 
I'm just low-key trying to learn Spanish right now. That's why I'm like, hmm, Spanish, maybe. So what I would change, I think I would be very, very adamant and particular about trying to create a safe space for my kids. Because especially if it's um, a, a kid who is navigating two worlds, they don't know what what is happening. They don't know the rules. It's very confusing. And I'm, I know my parents did their absolute best and like they didn't have any role models or manual either. So this is not like a dig at them by, in, by any means, but trying to create that space for my children to be like, okay, no matter what, no matter how dumb I can seem, no matter how confused I am, if I come home here, I will be loved. I will be safe. Um, and I can share my feelings without fear of judgment and without any, any kind of repercussion. Um, I think that would be something that I would try tremendously hard to create. The second part is never to like really degrade the parents. It's more like just like regeneration of people. You're trying to make it even better. It's yeah. not like just to put that on the other side no parent will ever be perfect because yeah. if you see like like i've had people on the show who i don't know i wish my parents would have i don't know given me more freedom or and then the opposite side of the coin like i think they were too much in my business like they were mm -hmm. always like like i just wish i would have gotten a little bit of freedom you know what i mean like what i think is we're all trying to do our best to instill whatever values we think best and obviously we're just trying to make our kids better than who we were and exactly yeah so yeah beautifully yeah. said so thank you very much for doing this i really appreciate it like your perspectives like just like we were talking about baggage it's just so funny to actually hear that side of it you can really uh like look at videos and stuff like that and um like i was looking at your interview but to really like dig into what your your questions are to that person to kind of really try to get an ounce of what they felt yeah, well, thank you for creating the space to for me to be heard. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It definitely changes my because like six years, some stuff happened to me and it's really changed my perspective on never judging like a book by its cover. So it's kind of like you don't know how they're doing emotionally. You don't know where they're from. Gives me a whole nother perspective to kind of pull from. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love what you just said, like not judging a book by its cover. Like I am living example of like, um, I'm definitely not the content that I present outside. <laughs> so yeah, at least please read the, the blurb on the inside. <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. it. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you. And have a great night. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no right. problem. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.